by nature are sharks aggressive? No, they're not. They're not. So, so this is mushrooms growing out of a wasp. I mean, we're just, we're exposed to literally thousands of synthetic chemicals just in our everyday life. My family is normal. I just think, oh, every family is just three people. So if we put hair inside bricks, it will be like insulating your home. Hi, I'm Miles Herbert. This is Think Sustainability, where we look at practical solutions for a better planet. Today, we have a look around a water recycling facility. But first, a story about something we don't talk about every day, about something most people don't want to talk about. Human waste, our waste, and the systems that deal with them so we don't have to. I really thank you for your interest in sewerage systems because, to be honest, it's the sort of topic that a lot of people find distasteful. My name's Ian Wright. I'm an environmental scientist and I teach at Western Sydney University. I have broad interest in environmental sciences. I believe the planet is in great trouble. My interest in particular and my expertise is probably in water in all kinds of its forms. And I'm particularly interested in the way we manage wastewater. When we flush the toilet or run the shower and watch the water and all that goes along with it disappear down the drain, we tend to completely forget about it. But Ian doesn't. Ian is fascinated with sewage. Sewage system, it's basically when you flush the toilet, let the plug out of the sink, have a shower and water goes down the drain, that's where it goes. If you live in a remote community, it could go into your backyard, into a septic system or something like that. But if you live in a big city, a town, a village, it'll probably go into a collective sewerage system. So it's literally a linking of sewers. So they're the wastewater pipes that take this together. That is called a sewerage system. The stuff within it is called sewage, which is all the unmentionable stuff when you plush a toilet, anything with detergent and waste in, um, and it's basically a byproduct of civilization. and each of us generates something in the order of about 300 litres of it per day. But Ian doesn't study sewers just for the fun of it. It is one of the most important parts of modern civilization. Without sewerage system, we probably wouldn't have many healthy communities in, sh- in townships bigger than about 10,000 people. Think about Sydney without a sewage system. That means no toilets, no showers. What would it look like? What would it smell like? They have been around for thousands of years, but Western civilization really didn't learn a lot of this. And so, uh, you know, famous example was something like London that suffered from wave after wave of cholera, which is a classic disease associated with basically toilet waste, faecal waste, and drinking water. So people, Sydney town in the 1800s, People often dumped their waste in a pit in the backyard. That simple, just a big hole. But in Sydney town, they often got their drinking water from a well right beside it. We now know enough in science to know that the two are linking. The faecal waste and the bacteria, the disease-causing organisms, can go from one to the other and cause disease. But with the sewage system, we try and keep things as separated as possible for hygienic reasons and a secure water supply. So everything from the way our cities look and smell, as well as the health of its citizens, are dependent on the sewage systems that get rid of human waste. 
And according to Ian, here in Sydney, we are lucky. We usually don't have to think about them. So historically, they've worked. Historically, they have worked. Most of the infrastructure for a sewage system is underground. You don't generally see it. Usually, last person I think thinks about it, well, they don't really think about it at all until there's a problem. If your toilet blocks or your sink blocks, there's a leak, it stinks, it's unsightly. So you often don't, don't really think or aren't, aren't really aware of this one of these most important functions of a modern society, the hygienic disposal of waste, which is the sewerage system. But Sydney is growing, and the urban sprawl in cities like Sydney might bring the sludge that lingers in the sewers back to our attention. What's threatening modern-day sewerage system? To most people, look around you, look at all that urban development. Urban development means more people, and more people means more waste. Look at how your suburb's changing, look at how Sydney's changing, New South Wales, big cities around the world. The world itself crossed a threshold about 10 years ago. Now more than 50% of the world's population lives in big settlements, towns and cities. They need a huge sewerage system. Do you think the infrastructure is keeping up with the population? Often not. Here in Sydney, our sewerage system is almost 200 years old. And like most other cities around the world, the same sewerage system that was built when the city was first settled is the same one dealing with waste from Sydney's new high-rise apartments and giant shopping centres. But urbanisation isn't the only thing affecting our sewerage systems. Uh, Climate change, yes it does. And probably one of the biggest concerns, and this is a worldwide phenomenon... The effects of climate change are drastically changing the world we live in. The global warming of the planet has led to sea level rises, and while we might think the rising tides will only affect people with beachfront property, they actually are going to have serious impacts on how we deal with waste. We build some of our biggest sewerage system assets right close to the waterline. Because where we are in our cities... The sewers are located at the lowest point in the landscape because we want gravity to take the sewerage, the wastewater, away from businesses, from industry, from shops, away from us. That means down the hill. So generally the biggest pipes are in the lowest point of the landscape, which is often right on the coast or down in a river valley. Now this is the precise area in many cases that that is going to be and is exposed to the rising sea level. Because most of our sewage pipes are built so close to the coast and the lowest point in the landscape, rising sea levels could block the system from flowing properly. And instead of flowing out, sewage could flow back into our homes. This is what Ian calls an overflow. An overflow is basically anything that causes sewage to leave the system, sewage, so contaminated wastewater, to leave um, and go to travel to the surface. And it might pop in wet weather in the local street or footpath or drain, um, and, you, and, you, and you might see sewer, sewer, sewage escaping in, in, in wet weather. And I'm afraid to say, in exceptional circumstances, an overflow can even happen from the house, and there are worst-case scenarios. Sewage can actually build up from the sewage system around an area and actually come out in someone's house. The, the, the euphemism used in industry is an internal surcharge. That basically means an overflow in your house. That's not good. Either. That's not really good. And there have even been cases where houses have been demolished because it's been so contaminated, it's built up, and you just don't want to go there. And this can happen from rising sea levels, the overflows? Well, this, can, this, this is exceptional, but at what level of overflows are people willing to tolerate? If you have an overflow in good weather, and people don't know that, 
you can't always look at water and see bacteria floating around. It doesn't always have odour. And I've taken enough samples to know that an overflow of sewage can be clear, but it's full of bacteria that could be potentially disease-causing. So it's not acceptable and it can be dangerous to human health. And, that, and, and these are all the ingredients. If overflows happen in the wrong time and are regular, that's when you have things like disease outbreaks. And disease outbreaks do happen because of failing sewage systems, even in places like suburban Australia. In 1998, Australia learned the hard way just how bad things can get when untreated sewage waste gets into the environment because of a failing sewage system. Oh, Wallace Lakes. Uh, that's, um, I'm, 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 sorry. I'm sorry for all oyster eaters. I love oysters. But when you're eating oysters, you are, you, you are, you are playing Russian roulette. Wallace Lakes is right next to the town of Foster and about a three-hour drive north up the eastern coast. A period of wet weather and an increase in the amount of tourists led the ancient waste management system in Wallace Lakes to fail, and it caused an outbreak of more than 400 cases of hepatitis A. So they literally will fill particles out of the water and they will grow with that. Um, And if there's a disease organism in there, that can be quite large and that can actually build up inside an oyster. That's exactly what happened at Wallace Lake around the town of Foster. So they're very productive oyster beds there. It was a holiday town. I think it was 1997, around Christmas time. Lots of wet weather. And somehow sewage wastewater, you know, human waste, got into the oyster beds and the oysters were harvested. It was holiday season. It was warm weather. People were eating lots of oysters. And it was one of the biggest um, outbreaks of, 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 of disease um, that caused... Again, a severe gastrointestinal upset, and at least a couple of people um, died. And it was due to contaminated oyster, oysters and, and wastewater. And it really shows if you've got leaking sewage systems, that's exactly the risk. But I'd, I'd say that, that the sewage systems probably present more of an opportunity for responding to climate change than um, being threatened by it directly. This is Dr. Pierre McIver, Associate Professor and Research Director at the Institute for Sustainable Futures at the University of Technology, Sydney. We just recently celebrated the 100th year of um, activated sludge, which I guess some people would celebrate, but it's a bit of an indictment on the industry. In that, what is activated sludge? Uh, it's just a really comp kind of organic way of, of um, treating uh, sewage. Um, but the technology is 100 years old, and we haven't found a more sophisticated way of treating our effluent, um, whereas most other industries are you know, redeveloping as they go along. So it's not really a celebration in that sense. It's probably something to be a bit embarrassed about. Pierre shares Ian's fears about climate change and urbanization dramatically impacting our outdated sewage systems. But he has a slightly more positive outlook. He sees sewage as a resource... Not a problem. I don't know if you're aware, but Sydney has three outfall pipes uh, where the three million popu- um, citizens of, of Sydney sewage just goes straight into the ocean. It doesn't get treated. It pretty much just gets macerated and screened and then gets dumped out at Bondi and Malabar and, um, and Manly. Um, so we're not very sophisticated in the way we actually treat our effluent in, in Sydney. Yeah. And this is a resource rather than a problem. And the way we've treated sewage up until now, we've seen it as a problem not as a, as a resource in a way to, uh, I guess, make our cities more resilient. Uh, there's a lot of talk about climate change and, and how we can uh, make our cities more resilient and rather than 
treating it, using it once in our homes and then dumping it in the ocean, we could find ways to use it multiple times. One way to do this is by using what Pierre calls restorative infrastructure. These systems would replace our current sewage systems with smaller, more localized systems that will recycle all the water we use right there in your apartment building or home. There's a concept that's being termed called restorative infrastructure. And so if we look at how we can build infrastructure that enhances our environment, and predominantly what that means is building distributed and localized recycled um, plants that uh, use the, the sewage locally, recycle it, and then that water is used in a local context, either for irrigation or flushing toilets. Um, about 80% of the water we use in our homes pretty much goes down the drain. So that's a wasted resource which could be reused more than once through um, irrigation and, and toilet flushing. So instead of dumping tons and tons of wastewater filled with bacteria into Sydney's famous beaches, the water we flush down the toilet filled with the unmentionables would be reused again and again. So not only would we be making better use of the precious water we have, these systems will also release pressure and strain on the main sewage systems that face an uphill battle against climate change and a growing population. So we build infrastructure to last 100 years, but people wouldn't have anticipated the kind of growth in Sydney potentially when they put in the systems in the CBD. And so by having um, distributed systems and, and small-scale recycle schemes within precincts or in buildings such as the one across the road in Central Park, this reduces the pressure on those, on those systems. Central Park is right across the street from 2SER Studios in Ultimo, where Pierre and I sat down for this chat. You might know it from having just about everything you need while you're doing your shopping, from groceries at Woolworths to sneakers at Adidas. Or you might know it from the beautiful urban greenery that hangs from its outer walls in the concrete desert of Ultimo in Sydney. But you might not know where the water comes from that makes that greenery possible. So is that okay if we stand here? Is yeah. that a bit better? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah, so where are we right now? So we're at Central Park. This is quite a fantastic world-leading community. Yeah, if you were just like walking through Ultimo and you didn't know where Central Park was, like how would you, what's the landmark? Right, it's the Green Walls, isn't it? Yeah, it's the Green Walls. So what this development has that's different is a commitment to sustainability. They put 100 million behind it um, to create a recycled water network and an embedded energy network. So it's really interesting. It's a fantastic model. It's the model of the future as far as we're concerned because recycled water is a resource and we're just pumping it out to sea. It doesn't get treated, so all the carbon and all the pollution goes straight out to sea. And in a drought-stricken country, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? This is Lisa McLean from Flow Systems, the private company that manages Central Park's recycled water facility. We are standing in the park underneath the green ecosystem that hangs down from the building's walls. What we're trying to do, particularly in water, from our perspective, Flo's perspective, is to um, stop business as usual. Business as usual is now 150 years old. So what we do is we have rainfall-dependent water supplies. We pump them right across tens of kilometres. Um, we flush it down the toilet, drinking water quality, we use it for everything, flush it down the toilet and then flush it out to sea and it's just completely mad. So what we do is we say there's actually a resource in, in wastewater, let's reuse it, keep water in local communities. When people walk past you they see these great green walls, yeah they've got recycled water, they're growing from that, but also every single apartment in here and also the shops, they all use recycled water. We take 100% of that wastewater, we take it downstairs where we'll go in a minute. It gets purified, goes through 
eight purification processes and then it goes back into those apartments and shops for toilet flushing, for washing machine use, irrigation, and also for cooling and heating. Yeah, before we go downstairs, that idea of recycled water. So you said wastewater. Is that that's what that's everything? So that's poo. For, it's from the dishwasher. Every single part of the um, house or apartment or shop, we take every drop of that water and recycle it. And um, and you can recycle it. You can in these community you can use it for up to 50% of your daily needs. In land release communities if, where people have gardens, you can use it for 70% of your daily needs. And that's a lot of water that we're saving and keeping in those dams. And also it's a lot of wastewater that's not going through those processes. So it's saving Sydney water a lot of money in processing and purifying. And it's protecting our environment because it's not going out to sea. Lisa and I head downstairs in an elevator right in the middle of the park you would never notice because it's covered in greenery. We make our way underground through a car park and into the control room of the water management system. I got the feeling I was entering a secret bunker of some kind. Welcome. Welcome to Central Park. Here we go. So this is the control room. But uh, if we look out here, about 10 years ago, all of the kit you'd need to recycle this amount of water, and so we're going to be producing one megalitre, one million litres of recycled water a day when we're up and running, when all that development's finished. And the kit that you would have needed 10 years ago for that would have filled about uh, five football fields. So you can see technology's getting smaller. Yeah. How, like, it's getting better. How would you describe this? Like, how big is it? Like... Well, I think we'll go and have a look in a minute, but it's pretty spacious, isn't it? You can see there's a lot of space down there. As a water utility, next generation water utility flow. Looking down at the treatment facility, it wasn't what I expected. It was just a few tanks and pipes here and there. The whole world needs to be moving faster to manage its water more efficiently and sustainably. Yeah, well, let's go take a look. Okay, let's do it. Let's go. Yeah, this is like something from Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> but what it lacks in size, it makes up for insufficiency. Lisa walked me through the eight purification processes that turns this water from the stuff you flush down your toilet to the water that feeds plants, cools the building, and is even clean enough for us to drink. And it's all happening in these tanks here. Yeah, so this is step one, so we'll walk around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So take out the plastics and baby wipes right here. And you can see there's two, two pieces of infrastructure here to deal with that. If one fails, the other kicks in. And then this is the step processing here. So this is where the good bugs are eating the bad bugs, um, and it is a natural process, so it does get a, get a lot of the smell out, which is fantastic because it just means it's um, you know easy to live around. Where do you guys get the bugs? <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I have to come back to you on that yeah. one. All right, step three. Where are we going? Okay, so over here. So now we go to um, this is the anaerobic processes here where we purge it with with air. And then behind over there is the water balancing, so that's where you're adding your um, different aluminium sulfate and your other chemicals to get the water balance right. Yeah. But we'll come over here and I'll show you the membrane filters. So in this we have, um, the, the water is purged through these membranes and it goes this way. And these membranes are 80 times smaller than pathogens and viruses, so that's where they shut out any impurities and so, like, if I had these in my throat, I would never get sick. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So it shuts it out. Remember, here we have lots of stages, critical points to remove impurities. This is one of them. 
um, and we have the anaerobic process we just talked about. This is a second um, barrier. And from there, the water goes down, and I'll show you where it goes downstairs. Right, so these ones here, these are um, ultraviolet machines, and this is another critical barrier where um, recycled water gets purified. Um, if there are any impurities left in the water, they get zapped here, and usually there's not. So what is the, what the ultraviolet light, what does it do? So ultraviolet is, is, is light that shines through and purifies, yeah. And yeah, everything keeps getting smaller, like these tanks are even smaller, so like each step, it's like smaller and smaller, less and less to do. That's right, and so when it gets to this point, actually the water is pure. Um, the, you can see by some of the monitors over here, they measure any impurities, and this is really an insurance policy. If there's nothing, uh, if there's something left in the water, it'll get zapped. So this is our reverse osmosis over here. And if you have a, just have a look here at the filters, you can see how really dense these are here. And so the water goes through the final purification process here is reverse osmosis. So yeah, this is where that, that happens. So. Yeah, so this is the RO process and you can see that it, um, it, the water is pushed through at great um, pressure through those small membranes to, to get rid of the salts out of it. So we have some byproducts out of this process, which um, the, um, the nutrient load can be used actually for organic uh, fertilizer in gardens, which is fantastic. And then out of this, we have a brine, a, a salty brine that comes out of it. So this is what makes the building look so good from the outside with all that greenery? Yeah, well, so out of our whole process, we get a nutrient load, which, can, which is uh, recycled for gardens, that's right. And then the briny, um, the briny uh, waste product of this doesn't have a use yet, but that's something we'd like to change. So while urbanization and climate change do pose a threat to our sewage systems and might have pretty devastating impacts from everything to our health to the way we smell, sometimes the two challenges can push scientists and conservationists to create something beautiful out of the stuff we flush down our toilet. Pierre again. We've got three million people in Sydney um, and the amount of sewage we generate in our, our pumping out into the ocean is a billion litres a day, which is the equivalent of a thousand Olympic swimming pools a day, just to give a perspective of the amount of, of water we're generating or, or, or letting go. For me, it's probably less about um, the pollution in the ocean. It's more about, for me, a wasted resource. It just seems crazy that we're constantly building dams and, and uh, desalinating water in order to just put it back in the sea. We should at least make the water go around a couple of times before we get rid of it. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe to Think Sustainability on your favorite podcast app. Just search for Think Sustainability. We're also available on iTunes. Think Sustainability is a collaboration between the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER Radio. I'm Miles Herbert. I'll catch you guys again next week.